this week, what's our next big test? And are we ready for it? But first, I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important, Science for People Who Give a Shit. You can subscribe right now, we would love it, to get this newsletter and my conversations with the world's smartest people every single week. Call them the people working on the front lines of the future. Uh, you can find the email or the web version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com or write in your show notes. And now, on to today's big question. Are you ready? Some backstory. Three years ago, five months before the first vaccines were trucked to pharmacies everywhere, I wrote a post called How to Pass a Test, and I think it mostly still holds up. This is the part I'm thinking about today. This virus, and again, this is from 2020, this virus, by its sudden onset, its novelty and its universality, has been a litmus test against a single moment in time, a measuring stick, a report card, for not only our beliefs and values, but most vitally, the macro and micro practical choices we've made and that were current in early 2020. It has been a once-in-a-generation chance to ask and find out exactly and immediately the answer to, what does X policy do? It was the ultimate collective nose swab. Now, one feature slash bug of my work is being aware of how politics and policy works, but also trying to change it over the long run. I am once again asking you to support Run for Something, the most important political organization in America. Anyways, blind blue sky idealism is fun and necessary, but only the first brief step towards imagining the change we can actually implement right now. The further out you look, the more idealism weighs into the equation, because you have more room to work. And on the converse, it means there's more compound action required to, to get there, obviously. It has been three long years, and a boatload of consequential elections since 2020. On a historic timescale, that's just not a ton of time. Don't even get me started on geological timescales. It's not a ton of time to get shit done, the point is. It doesn't help that we continue to trivialize many important things, and there's more to come there. Um, things that we could be doing, we could have been doing. On the other hand, and this is what's most compelling and frustrating, Long dreamed of programs like the expanded child tax credit, more streamlined and expansive Medicaid and SNAP eligibility, and funding for childhood centers uh, were given emergency trials during COVID, and they mostly proved to change lives almost immediately. And then among all of those elections and the whiplash and the wars and the bizarre societal need to just move on, these programs were left mostly to wither and then die. Now, the reasons were myriad, and Willow told me I have to stop writing, you know, 30-minute posts here. So let's quickly say it's a top-down problem, because when your average congressperson is a 65 or older white man trained as a lawyer, they're fundamentally disconnected from the systems that plague renters and the poor, women, birthing people, people of color, the hungry, the sick, where all those things intersect— but it's not just our ancient elected officials who are leaving us so unprepared for whatever comes next. Consider the C-suite, which is having a delightfully tough run of it. Every time these incredibly wealthy morons dare venture outside of Brentwood or Soho, 
they discover the forces pulling our society apart are stronger than ever, exacerbating the CEO-worker pay gap to astronomical ratios and marginalizing union power in numbers to their lowest numbers ever. They don't care about any of this. Until people strike. All of which has made national support for unions and these strikes stronger than ever. From our friends at Popular Information, the IPS report, Executive Excess 2023, analyzes the 100 large public corporations with the lowest wages in 2022. The IPS report found that at these corporations, a group that includes many of the nation's largest employers, quote, CEO pay averaged $15.3 million and median worker pay averaged 31672 for a ratio of 603 to 1. That went on for a while, but now these CEOs and their boards have firmly entered the find-out stage of fucking around. These same man-made forces. Poor pay. No affordable housing. No heat protections. A dearth of healthy, affordable food. Guns in classrooms. Drug overdoses. Unaffordable medicine. Cardiovascular disease. Pharmaceutical profits, etc., etc. They have made life so miserable for so many that they are also responsible for so very many organizing efforts. And holy shit, we're actually doing this strikes from... Hollywood screenwriters, like myself, and actors to UPS drivers and Starbucks baristas, Amazon warehouse workers, flight attendants, and now car manufacturers. The people unionizing for the first time, the people striking for months on end in the hottest summer of all time, so they simply don't have to drive around and die in 130-degree trucks just to collect your fucking Amazon returns, they don't need to subscribe to this newsletter. They don't need someone like me, who has an air conditioner right there and an air purifier, to explain how unaffordable housing is, or how little housing there is at all, how expensive healthcare is, how short we are on medicines from uh, Adderall to chemo, how their kids keep getting sick in the same hot, unventilated classrooms, how difficult it is to get overtime or any semblance of mental health support. They're not striking just because life is so untenable for them on a day-to-day -day basis. They're not striking because they're rich, the bosses are, are, are so profoundly wealthy. They're not just striking because of endless stock buybacks instead of uh, relatively better wages or air conditioning for their trucks or to not only be paid when the airplane is in the actual air. Right? They're striking because they remember what it was like when COVID hit and our way of life was actually threatened and they're terrified of it happening again, whatever the instigator. They're striking because it doesn't have to be this way, and we should have learned our lesson, and because a better way is just inches away. They see the record-breaking fossil fuel subsidies, $7 trillion globally last year, at $13 million a minute, but they also see and hear about all that IRA money going to factories and homeowners. Yeah, they've got student loan payments starting again, and groceries are still really expensive, but everyone's telling them the unemployment rate is historically low, that wages are up, in fact, and to buy one of these amazing new electric vehicles. They or their parents or their kids have cancer, and they read online about futuristic gene sequencing for their tumors, but they can't even get an appointment at their primary doctor, much less an oncologist, until, I don't know, fucking February? only to be told eventually, sorry, we're out of chemo drugs this week. These people, most of us, 
live the equivalent lives of Miami or Boston or New York or Galveston or Charleston's sunny day flooding. Stick with me here. They know the rising tide is increasingly affecting more of us right now every day. But that when the next local, regional, or society-wide disaster really strikes, that the system won't bear it. It barely did the first time. They know multiple states, school districts, and companies, I see you in and out burger, have passed bans on mask bans. They've read how FEMA's disaster fund is running out of money weeks before another potential government shutdown. Having just been tested three years ago, we know, and they know, that our systems, still the same systems, are too brittle, too understaffed, too trivialized, too politicized, and too interconnected, where otherwise disparate points of leverage will cause cascading failures across everything. As always, this is great news. <laughs> we can always, always use these same points of leverage to reinforce the weakest parts of the chain. But we're not there yet. Just three years on from COVID, these folks know it won't take another global event to expose us, but for real this time. A few more 100 billion weather disasters, or a $200 billion one. More flooding in California, where virtually no one has flood insurance. Another Florida hurricane where insurers are running away as fast as fucking possible. A COVID variant that makes more kids sick. More food hoarding in more countries as Putin's war threatens more breadbaskets. More effective cyber attacks on banks or water utilities instead of MGM. A dried up Rhine or Mississippi or a Panama Canal that obliterates shipping. A longer, hotter heat dome across the Southwest or the US, Northeast or Europe or Southeastern China, places just considerably less prepared for, for really, really hot, dry weather. Now, I share all of these real world examples not because we're doing nothing or because we've proven unable to do hard things or to make you stick your head in the sand. In fact, COVID proved we could do incredibly hard things should we choose to focus on them. Then, in fact, we've been doing hard things all along, like working for decades to make safe mRNA vaccines. But more recently, the IRA has dragged American manufacturing back into existence in only 12 months, pissing off allies at plenty, but nothing's perfect. And we're on the cusp of a geothermal power breakthrough utilizing the last few decades of fracking knowledge. This is one of the coolest things imaginable. Scientists have invented devices and discovered bacteria that scrub and eat microplastics. But on the other hand, we can't seem to stop putting them into our water and washing machines and bloodstreams. Generative AI like GPT and Claude and Google draw fantastical pictures for us. Uh, they calculate for us, rewrite for us, code for us reason for us and against us, they translate for us, if we have access to broadband. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place really for our most dedicated shit givers a place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year and it's grown to hundreds of shit givers from all kinds from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, 
artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research, and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game. Member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community. And we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, go ahead and subscribe for free and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. Again, what is most frustrating and most compelling is that we know exactly technically how to fix most of our issues so that we're ready every day and when the big one comes. We know exactly what levers to pull, which bottlenecks to eliminate, which positive feedback loops drive exponential change, which infrastructure benefits the most people, which proven fixes help people now, and which unproven ones we should allocate funding to in case they can help even more people later. We know where on the chain delays are most harmful. We can see how old systems like gas pipelines flourished, unprofitably mostly, from quick and efficient approvals, while electric transmission lines can't yet. We have overwhelming evidence for how purposefully neighborhoods were plowed through for highways, and how big trucks exploited a very big loophole, but bike lanes enjoy none of the same momentum, literally and logistically, and bikers and walkers enjoy little of the safety. We know our air travel is the safest in the world, but our car travel is among the least safe because we've just fucking decided it should be that way. We know how specific, measurable outcomes reverse-engineered across stakeholders, teams, processes, and milestones can help reduce systemic risk across exposure points. And methodically, reducing systemic risk across exposure points is exactly how we prepare for the next test. From stockpiling medicines we need now to reducing lead pipes and diesel buses to training millions more electricians and nurses. Now I start my day every day asking, how can I help? Now the first answer is usually, make me a waffle, Dad. But after that, when you really think about it, this whole science for people who give a shit thing really means finding proven ways to improve the lives of working people who struggle for basic necessities. And before we get any further, I want to be crystal clear that includes people who are explicitly coming to this country for a better, healthier, safer life for them and their families. And we can't go back in time and build 4 million new affordable homes. But we can sure as shit start now and electrify every single one of them, driving down the cost of housing everywhere to buy and to rent, 
and the odds of some new virus ripping through millions of hourly workers who sleep and eat on top of one another, but also driving down the cost of electrified appliances over scale and infrastructure and the distances that school buses have to drive. So that when the next real heat dome hits, when the next real virus hits, when the next real flooding hits, that's more people protected in their own more resilient spaces, but also living in proximity with one another, already engaged in daily rituals that encourage them to be manageably dependent on one another. Yeah, OpenAI can write all the using GPT in the classroom guides they want, but paying teachers and bus drivers more and providing them with childcare means we get more and better teachers and bus drivers. It's that fucking simple. Look, I, I shared a tweet in the newsletter from More Perfect Union. It describes how Boston was suffering from hundreds of vacancies in the bus driver department. We're dealing with that here, too. But early this month, the union representing drivers won a massive victory, a 36% increase in starting salaries. That goes from $22 an hour to $30 an hour. Applications went up 356% from July, month over month. Does that solve everything? Of course not. But these are basic, low-hanging fruit policy choices that do start to fix many problems at once. It's multi-solving at its best. It's provable. Blanketing Europe in solar and heat pumps can keep a historically AC-adverse continent as cool as it can be during these devastating heat waves. But Europe, Asia, California, Texas— and everywhere else won't be safe until we build hundreds of thousands of miles of HV transmission infrastructure and bury all the old ones that keep fucking exploding and causing more wildfires. When I say that every action matters, I mean it. Cool Roof France has turned 130,000 tons of oyster shells into white roof paint. In Montana, the youths finally won a lawsuit and set some serious precedent for future rulings. Opening up, improving ventilation, and air cleaning in schools and offices means we get more kids in school and more people at work every day, and when a bad flu season hits, it's that simple. France is taxing flights to pay for trains. Wounded U.S. Army vets are tending to suffering coral reefs. The Church of England is divesting from fossil fuels. Iceland is taking a pause on whaling. I mean, what fucking year is it? Panama gave legal rights to sea turtles. And cities are building mini forests all over the place, cleaning the air, providing shade, and an evidence-based mental health refuge. These compound actions don't just fight the long climate fight. They don't just improve today. They make us better able to hold up when the shit inevitably hits the fan again. Reducing the paperwork and work requirements to get Medicaid or SNAP or both, and then making more providers take Medicaid and more online groceries take SNAP means more people can get primary care and healthy food and be healthier. And I don't have to tell you, those two levers are like magic for anyone who's never had them. Every day, and when a global breadbasket or two gets absolutely fried, by the way, this is exactly why this next point is crystal clear, and I really need you to internalize it. When a governor or legislator, or both, turns down Obamacare Medicaid money, 10 years old now, it is because that person or collection of shitty persons simply does not care if the people who would be covered 
live or die. It's true. You can just ask them. Similarly, taking free IRA money, or again, Obamacare Medicaid money, produces jobs and makes your citizen healthy so they can work those jobs. We know this. And in just 12 months for one and over a decade for the other, we know these policies work, that they help people, full stop. They help us progress towards virtually every measurable outcome that makes a society tick and not teeter constantly on the edge of collapsing in on itself when it could otherwise just be chasing really cool Star Trek shit, knowing everyone else is taken care of. You never want a society to need Star Trek shit like right now. You don't want to have to need fusion or whatever. You want to have a baseline that supports the entire society on the day-to-day and when the storms blow the hardest, so you know we have the bandwidth to reach for wild shit without pissing off everyone who's left behind. When we acknowledge what is happening around us and implement something like a National Disaster Safety Board, we not only get to review what the fuck happened with recent disasters, but also learn from them so we can react even better and more comprehensively next time, because there will be a next time. Providing basic heat protections, water breaks, and, if we want to be super fancy, a path to citizenship for millions of food workers doesn't just guarantee those actual people, you know, survive, but also builds a more robust food supply chain for everyone, however it evolves, however we decide to measure and standardize and price carbon storage in soil. Guaranteeing bodily autonomy and providing for comprehensive soup-to-nuts maternal care through at least the first year post-delivery or post-miscarriage or IVF or all three. Regulating mandatory paid parental leave and fixing this goddamn baby formula shit show makes for healthier, safer birthing people, their partners, and their kids. It makes people able to feed their kids, read to their kids, and re-enter the workforce when they're ready with sound body and mind, contributing to a more steadfast and reliable local and nationwide economy. It means fewer parents in poverty every day, and more kids starting off on the right foot. It compounds over time. But it doesn't take a fucking McKinsey study to show that taking any one of those things away on purpose, as a policy choice, puts the entire system at risk every day and when shit hits the fan. The system doesn't have to be at risk. And compound action is how we reduce the risk for everyone, every day, and on our hardest days. Through strikes, yes, which corporations made happen, but also through funding basic science and far-out science, through leveling the playing field against viruses and bacteria and lead by improving our infrastructure, through recruiting and campaigning for young shit-givers and local, state, and federal elections, in that order, through lawsuits by the youths and indigenous among us, through billboards and telling stories. We can tell tell ourselves stories about what we've built and how far we've come, But history will test us and judge just how much truth we are willing to bear. Here's your relevant action steps. Number one, donate to the Cooperation Humble, a worker-led, non-hierarchical nonprofit that delivers programming in seven areas that are key to basic human rights. Number two, volunteer with Global.Health to help create a global resource of public health information and assist in preventing the next pandemic. Number three, Get educated about steps to solving the climate crisis by receiving a weekly challenge in your inbox from Minimum Viable Planet. 
Number four, I think, uh, be heard about better outbreak tracking and get your local government officials to sign up for Biobot Analytics wastewater testing. And lastly, invest in getting the world vaccinated by having your company sign up for matching fund with Gavi. That's it for this week. Got feedback, questions, opinions? Hit me. Email them to questions at importantnotimportant.com. And of course, hit subscribe right now in your little thing to get next week's essay straight to your feed. Of course, to go deeper, visit importantnotimportant.com. Sorry for my voice today, but thank you for being a part of our community. And thank you for giving a shit. Thank you.